2: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jake Hart.
3: And I turn to the guy next to me and I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get fired. You want to help me out? And he's immediately like, yes.
2: (laughs) Now here's the show. Hello kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Six Toys Behind Me Now, and we're calling this week's episode Sketchy, Three Stories, well it's really about encounters with sketchy people that these storytellers are daring to share about hey if you live in austin texas come see our show or anywhere near austin texas come see our live show on december 4th that is where we will be we will be at the what is it the north door i think it's called yeah the north door and then on december 4th we are also in los angeles at the virgil come on out to the Virgil on December 4th, if you're anywhere near Los Angeles, uh, December 19th, we're back at Caveat in New York City, and on January 25th, we're in San Francisco at the Swedish American Hall. I'm recording this episode a couple weeks prior to its release, but it's probably not too late by the time you're hearing this to pitch us your holiday, your winter holiday stories because it's always a thing where we're scrambling last minute, you know, closer we get to Christmas to get stories about Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, New Year's Eve, yada yada. Uh, So pitch us from anywhere in the world. Especially if you're in New York and Los Angeles, because we might get you to do our live shows there. But we can record stories, radio-style stories, from anywhere in the world. And pitches any kinds of stories, anytime, at risk-show.com slash submissions. All right, let's get to it, guys. Let's see here. What do we got today? In a little bit, we're going to hear from Mike Cho. Mike has a photo blog at nycityofmike.blogspot.com. But before that, we're going to hear from the notorious and nefarious Jake Hart. Jake has been running a show called The Dump. It's, a, uh, it's an open mic storytelling show here in New York City for years now. You can find him on Twitter at Jake Scott Hart. Here's Jake now at the last show that Risk did in Philadelphia with a story we call The Colorado Kids.
3: So when I was 11, me and my dad sat down to watch this movie I'd never heard of called Reservoir Dogs. (laughs) So like a half hour into this movie, he just says, Wow, I've had these exact conversations. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My dad is a walking Johnny Cash song. And Johnny Cash songs are fun, and America loves them, and, you know, they're fun at parties, but on further examination and hearing what they're about, you're like, wait, what? Dude, what the fuck is your life? And that was my dad, you know, and that's why, you know, uh, I didn't get to see much of him when I was a kid. I'd see him for a summer here or, you know, a weekend there sometimes, but, like, I didn't get to spend as much time with him as I... Should've, or maybe not should've. Maybe it was enough time. You let me know after this story. So, when I was 18, was like, I'm not the guy that my dad was. My dad, he was in prison from like most of his late teens. I was in high school, like a dork. Um, his thing wasn't my thing. I was, uh, he, he'd gotten fights, you know, jail women, just uh, all kinds of stuff and crimes, and I I did theater. I was, I'm a theater kid. I had a speaking role in Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Woo! Hey. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like his thing wasn't necessarily my thing, but you know, he was still a guy, like his life was so nuts, I was just like, man, sometimes I'm just like, I'd like that, but then you know, you watch the end of Reservoir Dogs and you're like, oh, no, I'm alright. <laughs> um, so but when I was 18, uh, I dropped out of college in Georgia, where I was living. And I was, like, figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. So one of the th- before I actually figured it out, I decided I was going to go visit my dad. I was going to spend some time with him as a man. Like, I was 18. We're going to be adults together. And that was in Colorado that I decided to see him. I wanted to go visit him, and I also wanted to see Colorado because I was born in Colorado. We were there only two weeks after I was born, and that's the hazard you have when your parents meet while hitchhiking. Another story. So I want to see that, and I want to see, you know, like the home of the Rockies or whatever, and then, uh, so I take a bus from Georgia to Colorado, and I uh, go to stay with my dad, who's staying uh, in, a, in a house in prairie country, the kind of country that Cormac McCarthy might find relaxing Uh, I get there, it's him and his girlfriend of eight years and her kid who's about 13. I'm cool with her. You know, I've known her pretty much the whole time, the eight years. But, like, their relationship, you know, had always had some kind of toxicity in it. And these days it had gotten progressively worse. Like, their arguments had progressed from arguments. It would be shit like, hey, did you take one of my pain pills? No, I didn't take one of your fucking pain pills. The end. Uh, yeah, so it devolved in that, but we're still all hanging out, and you know, I'm still trying to have a good time. So I'm still hanging with my dad, you know, and uh, but like we're in prairie country, and I'm 18, and it's 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 boring, and I don't want to hear all those arguments all the time. So I do a thing, which I have to do because I'm 18 anyway, and it, legally I should. I get myself a job. I get myself a job as a telemarketer. Yeah, uh, being a telemarketer is like. Jail. You don't need to have them in your life to know that they're the worst. But if you ever find yourself in one, you know it's the worst. This was me at this telemarketing place. It was six days a week, uh, six hours, seven a.m., one p.m., selling credit cards to people that really didn't need them. I it, everything that's wrong now is partially my fault. I'm sorry. And I'd do this, and just like, it's an awful job, but the, the thing was, at the end of the week, I'd get paid 300 whole dollars, which isn't a lot now. But like, in 1998, in Colorado, to an 18-year-old with no bills, that is literally a million dollars. So I stayed at this horrible ass job through like the start of summer, up until like, and, and, you know, I didn't do much else. Now, come midsummer, me and my dad take a trip up to Denver. Not to see the mountains, not to catch a Rockies game, mostly just to attend his DUI sentencing. His DUI, or as he called it, bullshit. Apparently, he'd gone hard the night before, and in the morning when he was driving home, somebody pulled him over, and he still blew like a whatever. It's fine. He was fine. You know, he was fine. Uh, so that's looming, and then uh, we go to sentencing. That happened a while before I got there, but when we're there, we go to Denver. He just goes to court, and I just hang out in the van. And after a little while, he comes back to the van, and I'm just like, all right, so what's up? And he's like, well, they want me to do 20 days. And we've all talked about who my dad is, so I'm just like, oh, that's not too bad. But he's like, yeah, but... They're not gonna let me serve it until like Christmas time. I'm like, oh man, oh well, so what do you want to do? He's like oh fuck it. I don't even like this state. Let's get the hell out of here.
4: <laughs>
3: now when he said that, he did mean let's get the hell out of Denver. But he also meant, fuck jail during Christmas. Let's leave the state of Colorado. And he said, you and me. So that meant not his girlfriend. I guess this was the final nail. And that also means not the kid. Now him and the kid, they got along. He was actually very, you know, the fatherly figure in his life. But it's just like... If he took the kid along with us, that would legally be kidnapping. So, can't do that. So, this is what we got to do. He hatches a plan. I'm the only one working right now, because he got injured during a construction job. Of course. And uh, he's waiting on a settlement. So, the plan is... I know this is delving into, like, a subplot of My Name is Earl. Uh... (laughs) So the plan is I'm going to save up from my job for a few weeks to fund our escape from Colorado. And this is going to be tricky because this call center I work at, his girlfriend also works there too. Oh, yeah. She works there. She's also my ride to work every day. That's, that's a hoot. And so that's the plan. The plan is I also I have to get fired on purpose, seemingly, I can't just quit one day because that'll obviously be like arousing suspicion, and also I would get my check the next day if I got fired versus two weeks if I quit. You guys have been there, uh, so that's the plan. And uh, it's it's you're probably asking yourself, "Aren't you freaked the fuck out?" And I was like, "Yeah, I was." On the other hand, I am also kind of tired of Colorado and i've seen how the relationship is going it's never going to get any better so i was like all right yeah let's do this and also this is to me at the time a way for me and my dad to bond this is now a common interest that we have so yeah i get on board with this plan i'm like you know i'm an accomplice uh so like i'm saying i'm working i'm working and the job is still terrible and every week it's the same question hey dad can i get fired yet Dad, can I please get fired? Dad, please let me get fired. Please fucking Christ. Dad, can I get fucking fired, please? And he's like, no, we don't have enough money to get fired yet. Just keep going. And then the end of the summer approaches and he's like, one day he's like, okay, go ahead, get fired. (laughs) And when he said that, I realized I have no plan. (laughs) I've never been fired organically, much less on purpose. It was like if a dog was chasing a car and then caught it, and they're like, oh, I <laughs> So I get to work, and I get to the, my desk, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know. Do. Nobody has this in their life. How the fuck do you do? I got it. I'm just going to sleep at my desk. I'm going to do one of these. If they hate that. I'll get fired. All right. So I do that, and after five minutes, I get a tap on the shoulder, and uh, the supervisor, and she says to me, Now, Jake, if you don't sit up, I'm going to make you stand. (laughs) And I can't be like, well, make me! (laughs) Blown cover. So I just go like, oh, okay, sorry. Okay, plan B. I barely had a plan A. Uh, So now I'm just like, okay. Uh, I got it. I won't push sales. So normally when I'm on the phone, we're like, hi, this is Jake Hart, I'm with this so-and-so call center. I'm here to offer you a titanium MasterCard at this APR and blah, 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 blah. And go from there. Today, when I call somebody, I'm like, hey, this is Jake. Do you like a titanium MasterCard? No, thanks. Smart choice. (laughs) Nobody says anything. I'm starting to get annoyed. Because also, not only is like nobody just recognizing me, this is the the hardest I've ever worked at anything at this job. (laughs) So now I have to come up with a plan C, and I do. I turn to a guy next to me that I'm friendly with, and I tell him to push his mute button. There's a monitoring department above us, and they listen to everything that we do, and we can mute it, though, in case we have a question or want to go to the bathroom. And I turn to the guy next to me, and I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get fired. You want to help me out? And he's immediately like, yes. (laughs) He knows what hell we're in. So I tell the guy, all right. On three, just take your thumb off your button and just listen to this story. And I do one, two, three. And I throw in this made-up story uh, with an extra douchebaggy accent just to seal this deal. All right, so this weekend I was fucking this chick, right? She was sitting on top of me and just like, bam, 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 bam. I am just fucking nailing this. All of a sudden, you know, in the middle of it, I just fucking nail it a little too hard. She fucking goes over the side of the bed. And when she goes over the side of the bed, she hits her head on the desk. And when she hits her head on the desk, their head's kind of, it's bleeding. And when I see the blood, and she's naked, and it's just, it's comical to me. So I start laughing. And she hates that I'm laughing. Of course, I'm an asshole. So she starts hitting me. But the fact that she's hitting me makes it funnier. So I laugh harder. And it's a vicious cycle. Oh, shit, it was the best sex I ever had. Nobody says anything. (laughs) I go on break, and now I'm trying to formulate a plan D. I'm considering taking up smoking. I'm so pissed off right now. I'm thinking about to kick my boss in the face just to get a write-up. Anyway, I go back in, and uh, I'm there five minutes when my supervisor comes over and says, Jake, get your jacket and come with me. And I'm like, okay. And I follow her, trying not to skip. And I get in the office of my project manager and she tells me, Jake, I'm here to let you know that your position at this call center has been terminated. Uh, You were caught sleeping at your desk and uh, you weren't pushing the sales. And apparently you were talking about your sex life over the phone. In my head, I'm like, oh God, all three reasons? (laughs) Jesus Christ, I didn't think you guys were paying attention to anything I was doing. But out loud, I would just say something like, oh, sorry, Mondays. And so, like, I leave and I go outside and my dad's girlfriend's there and she's like, what's happened? And I tell her and she's like, oh, that sucks. And I'm like, I know. I'm an idiot. Mm. And then I call my dad and I tell him what happened. He's like, that's funny. All right, I'll see you later. All right, so... Uh, Yeah, I get my check, and then a couple of days go by, and she goes off to work, and that's when we start packing up the van. We pack up the van, and it's nerve-wracking. It's very anxiety-inducing. It's also really sad, because it's summer, so the kid is still at the house. This is how he finds out. My dad goes off to explain exactly what's happening. He's telling him in no uncertain terms why we're about to do what we're about to do. But the kid is fine. I mean, he's sad that my dad is leaving because he's the only dad he's really known in his life. But he also knows who his mom is, so he gets it. <laughs> Tough kid. And, but this is still making my dad, for all his bullshit, this is tearing him up. This is making him feel very horrible. And But he can't do anything, again, because it's just not his biological kid. He wishes he could. It's fucked up to him. It's fucked up. The whole situation, no one's a hero. No one's liking anything they're doing. But the only thing he can think to do is just call her now that she's at work. Let her know what's happening just so she doesn't come home and it's, we're not here and nothing's here. So he does that. And it's about 20 seconds of a normal phone call. Before it devolves into no, 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 fuck you, no, fuck you, fuck you, no, fuck you. (laughs) And that's it. Another private talk between him. He's like, he makes sure that the kid knows where to go, like other neighbors or just like, you know, family members he'll be at possibly in case anything goes wrong. And so we get in the van, we drive away, and like the fucked up part is still there but now it's being replaced by the nervousness of we're actually on the road and fucking doing this I'm driving because of course neither of us have a license at the time but I'm the one without the record so it's better if we get pulled over that I'm the one behind the wheel you know how it is so we're driving and we're just mostly just like oh wow this is Jesus Christ, oh, I'm like that. He has been in this kind of shit before, not just like leaving, but like, you know, high-stakes drama. And if you were wondering, you know, just based on me and my dad's description, yes, we were listening to Creedence Clearwater's Greatest Hits. Anything to try to take our mind off this. And we drive for two hours. And then uh, we make a pit stop on the highway, and we go to the bathroom, use it. We come back out into the van. We sit in the van, and when we're sitting, we look up across the highway on the other rest stop. We see this car, and we see this car just like, and, like, and suddenly just do a Yui, and I'm just like, what the hell is that? And then I look closer, and it's like, no, get, no, she, that's impossible, How the fuck did she catch up? We were, at this point, she was an hour and a half west. We drove two hours east after we made the call. Holy God, she must have done 90 the entire fucking time. She zipped right up and parked right next to us. And she got out of the car. She just started screaming at my dad, who also got out of the car. You're so fucking dead. I called the fucking cops on you. I got the fucking bail bondsman on you. And he's like, oh, shit. Okay, okay, just calm down, calm down. And he gets into the car with her. Meanwhile, I'm just grabbing the wheel for dear life. I'm already thinking about how long I'm going to be in jail. And that I've let my dad down as a wheel man. And that everything's about to just fucking explode. My life is over. I think that for the entirety of the time that he's in that car. And, but then he comes out of the car. and He comes out of the car and he asks her something. She shakes her head and she closes her door and drives off. And he gets back in the van. And then I'm just like, well... He's like, oh, well, uh, took me a little bit, but I figured out that all she really wanted to do was be able to go back to work and tell all her dumb friends that she kicked me out. And I was like, that's fine. I just want to (laughs) leave. So we left. We drove until we were out of Colorado. And we drove around for another six months just visiting various relatives And uh, I went back to Georgia after a little bit. You know, I guess that sort of made me more of a man. Uh, The thing was, he did get the settlement eventually. And he did go back and check on the kid. And he is still the only father figure he's had in his life. And they have a great relationship now. The mom's not in the picture, but they're very tight. And... I have not rooted for the Colorado Rockies ever since.
4: What? 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 What
3: are you doing? What is that?
4: It's Credence.
3: Credence? Credence. Credence Clearwater Revival? Classic rock?
2: I know who it is. It's old rock. It doesn't make it classic. What sucked back then still sucks now. You don't like Credence? This is like having a pine cone shoved in my ass. Okay,
4: really? Wow, that's mature.
1: Uh, So Tim and I were a bad match from the start Uh, Our entire relationship consisted of me uh, taking the M 72 crosstown bus To his apartment off Columbus Avenue where we would just sit on his couch and watch TV all day Uh, We were obsessed with trading spaces and by we I don't mean Tim and I I mean the entire nation Uh, We would order mediocre takeout And then we'd go to bed, and the next day I would take the M72 Crosstown bus back to my apartment on First Avenue, and that was it. That was our entire relationship. So uh, I was younger then, and I was naive about relationships, but after a while, even I was starting to ask, like, don't couples who date actually do things together? So I must have been making some noises about this because uh, uh, one day... Tim surprises me and says that we're going to a dinner party at his friend Harry's house. And Harry's this uh, older gentleman who lives a few blocks up from Tim. Uh, He's about 10 years older than Tim, who is already about 10 years older than I am. And uh, we get to the party, and I'm very nervous about making a good first impression. This is the first time I'm meeting any of Tim's friends. So, of course, the very first thing I do is I spill a full glass of red wine while trying to cut a piece of hard cheese. (laughs) And immediately around me, all of these, like, thousand hands appear with all these napkins and towels. And they clean up the mess, and I hear somebody... Telling me that uh, Harry's been drinking for hours And he's probably not even going to remember any of this in the morning Uh, So seated around the table is another couple They were the owners of the Thousand Hands that came out to clean up the mess Uh, This other couple who, like Tim and I, consist of an older white guy and a younger Asian guy And in the kitchen there is another young Asian guy who is cooking dinner And dinner is coq au vin, which is a French dish and that uh, briefly confuses uh, Harry and the other white guys around the table because (laughs) coq au vin is a French dish and the chef is Asian. Oh, but uh, you know, um, Vietnam was a French colony for many years, so that checks out. Oh, but the chef, uh, he's not Vietnamese, he's from the Philippines. Oh, but it's all the same general area, isn't it? All of those third-world countries in Southeast Asia. Are the Philippines a third-world country? Really? Electricity and running water? Really? Uh, The last two guests arrive while we're eating uh, dinner. Uh, First, there's Aaron, who uh, is another young Asian guy who happens to be Tim's uh, ex before he dated me. And yeah, I've stayed friends with exes in the past. I don't really think that's weird or a big deal. And the last guest is uh, one more young Asian guy who is this actor-comedian who is just stopping in in between shows. So for those of you keeping score at home,
4: that's skinny
1: young Asians, five, old white guys, three. So we finish eating dinner, and Harry clears the table, and he puts on some music, and immediately the Asian guys at the table, they just start screaming, and they get up, and they start dancing, and it's just, like, so instantaneous, but, like, looking back, I totally get it. You know, this was the year of uh, Beyonce's first uh, solo album. And, you know, people were still rocking out to uh, Christina Aguilera's uh, stripped CD, you know That's the one that had fighter and dirty with the two R's
4: <laughs>
1: So I'm sitting at I'm still sitting at the table just like watching them get up and dance and like I don't I'm not joining them because like I'm, I'm I'm not the dance gay, you know
4: <laughs> Like
1: I've tried it's just it's just not me so, I'm just still sitting at the dining table, which is like off to the side of the room, just watching this like impromptu dance floor popping up in this little open area in front of the, the entryway to the kitchen, and just watching, you know, people like doing their, their spins and, and voguing and like taking turns doing like these runway walks and these crazy death drops, and um, I'm sitting there at the table watching this and I happen to look over and I notice that the three white guys have retired to a couch behind me on the other side of the room and they're sitting there and they're just watching the show and Harry whispers something to Tim behind his hand and Tim laughs and whispers something back and they're just sitting there and watching the show and it's at that moment that I realized that this party, this party is not a party for everybody here in this room. This party is for the three white guys back there on the couch and all the rest of us, we're just the entertainment. So when your relationship exists in as much isolation as Tim's and mine did, you know, it just exists like completely out of context with the rest of the world. and. You don't really know how you fit into that other person's life And you don't really know how that how the other person fits into yours But sitting there seeing Tim on the couch just watching the show It's the first time I realized that I'm not even a human being I'm just the next one on the list So later that night at Tim's I'm trying to explain to him in my limited emotional vocabulary Like everything that was wrong with the party I'm um, trying to explain to him about uh, exoticism and orientalism and racial fetishism and and also about uh, objectification and disposability and I'm just not getting through to him and every word I say I'm just like digging myself deeper into this this hole of, of whiny and needy and Tim he just kind of rolls his eyes like he's heard it all before from uh, from uh, from people who are smarter and more eloquent than I am. Just rolling his eyes, like here we go again, but he finally gives one of those i'm sorry if you were offended, that was not my intention apologies, and uh, all of these isms that i 've been describing, he says that 's not him that 's not who he is, and at the time, that was enough for me just to hear him say that, you know, because I was naive about relationships but As naive as I was about relationships, I knew that relationships are supposed to be about common life goals and shared experiences, but sometimes relationships are also about this person is looking at me, and nobody else is looking at me, and what if nobody ever looks at me again? So the weeks go by and summer turns to fall, and one night over mediocre takeout, I'm telling Tim about something that happened to me in fall of the previous year when I was still brand new to the city. That there was this one Sunday morning I woke up to hear this huge crowd right outside my window like so loud they could have been inside the apartment itself. And I looked outside and I just see these throngs of people lining the streets like, like for a parade. And they all have these signs and these balloons and these plastic horns. And it takes me a couple minutes to realize that today's the day of the New York City Marathon and that it's going to be passing directly under my window. And I spend most of the rest of the day just sitting at the window, watching this endless stream of runners passing underneath my window and just watching all of these people just cheering for their friends and their coworkers and their families and just for complete strangers. And it was such a rare moment of community and togetherness in a city that to me had felt so cold and indifferent up to that point. And I could only imagine what it would feel like to be surrounded by all of these cheers, like the city itself was rising up and saying, You know, you can do this. I believe in you. You belong here. So I asked him, I tell Tim all of this, and I asked him, I asked him, if I started right now. And if I trained and practiced really hard, did he think that maybe one day I would be able to run the marathon? And I ask him that, and I so need him to answer, like, yes, of course you can do this. I will help you. I will cheer for you. I will be waiting for you at the finish line. You can do this. I believe in you. You belong here. But Tim, he just laughs out loud, and he says, you are... By far the laziest person I have ever met in my life. Like you won't even get up off the couch. How are you ever going to run a marathon? Well, in 2010, I ran my first New York City marathon. Uh, It took thank you. It took a, a year of training and support of all my friends who, like, didn't even really understand what I was doing. But they encouraged me anyway. And, you know, they were people that, you know, to, to supported me, and they, they were cheering for me along the way. And, like, I, could, I saw them cheering for me. And, like, even if I couldn't see them, I still felt, like, you know, the city, like, I had imagined that the spirit of the city was, like, lifting me up. And, you know, I was connecting with all of these strangers who were somehow able to connect with me, who were able to spot me out out of a crowd of, you know, the the one anonymous runner out of 55,000. Just, like, being able to connect with me in a way that years ago, two people couldn't even connect when they were sitting on the same couch together. And I saw the same thing when I ran my second marathon in 2014. (laughs) And, and my third one in 2017 and the one person I never saw in any of this was Tim who will <laughs> Tim who will never hear about any of this because he doesn't deserve to because because fuck that guy
2: is risk this is generationals behind me now and we just heard from mike cho who you can find on instagram at mint mint minstagram and before that we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor jeff barr something or other to do with uh credence clearwater revival who were mentioned in jake hart's story before that This is the season when it's especially crowded at the post office. Why waste your time going there when Stamps.com eliminates the need for it and saves you money with discounts? Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. No wonder over 700,000 small business already use stamps.com we use stamps.com at risk and the story studio and we've always loved it so don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year sign up for stamps.com instead there's no risk with our promo code risk you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale no long term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk that's stamps.com enter risk stamps.com never go to the post office again our final story on this week's episode comes from the recent show that we did in Toronto oh that was such a great night And this one was so memorable. This comes to us from a woman named Duchess. And here she is now. This is Duchess at the Risk Live show in Toronto with a story we call Missing You.
0: phone rang and it was my best friend Jackie. She starts the conversation, I met the guy, I met the guy. I'm like, what are you talking about? I met the guy today at school. His name is Dave. Girl, when he smiles, his, his teeth just sparkles and he's good-looking and he's, oh, he can dress. And I don't want to get to know him. Well, how are we gonna do that? Now for me, she was my very first best friend and it was the best thing in the world. We met a year previously at a Carabana festival. She's from Trinidad and she's 17. I'm from Jamaica and I'm 16. Now once we met, we clicked. So everything was unconditional love, trust. We told every, each other our secrets. we talk on the phone all the time. And we didn't really go out much because believe it or not, West Indian parents are very strict. So you don't get to go out very much. And she lived in the East End, I lived in the West. But we found time on the weekends to see each other. So I said to her, How are we gonna do this? And she says, Well, I overheard him talking to his brothers and he's gonna go to the Eaton Center. And I want us to go down there and get to know him and get closer. So I'm okay, no problem. Now back in the seventies, Eaton Center was the place to go. (laughs) You it was. You put on after chores, you got on the bus, you put on your Sunday dress first, of course, and then you get on the bus and you go down to Eaton Center. And Toronto was much smaller. Believe it or not, in the '70s, so when you were in center you 'd see all these different cliques, but everybody kind of knew everybody, you know, and we were basically somewhat all West Indian or immigrants from different countries, but we hung out at Eden Center and the boom box, and you always have music in the background, and you know you 're clicking and you 're looking good and you 're feeling good, <laughs> so she and I were say okay we 're going to go to Eaton Center girl. I was standing up and we're saying, hi to everybody, how you doing? And then all of a sudden she pinches me. I'm like, what? She goes, he's here, he's here, he's coming towards us. So I don't want this guy to think that, oh, no, there they are looking at me. So I kept my head straight. I had sunglasses on too. That was a very in thing back then. It's still in today. (laughs) So my head was straight and my eyes, I avert them that way. And I look over and I'm like, girl, you're right. He's cute. Oh and he came up and he was smiling. I just got (laughs) whoa. So she made introductions and he could dress too. He looked fine. (laughs) So introductions were made and Jackie and Dave goes off to the side a bit and I end up talking to his brothers and they were cute too but you know I was a virgin and I was still very very virgin very very virgin I didn't know anything so it's about just talking about music and okay when's the next dance that we can go to that we have a curfew that we can attend you know so we got along and we had a really good time so as I said we have a curfew so I look at my watch and I'm like oh we have to get going I look over, and Jackie's kissing Dave, and Dave is kissing Jackie. It's her first kiss, and I'm seeing it. (laughs) Oh, you're kissing, girl. (laughs) Okay. But I knew we had to get home. So I had to get her attention, which I did, and I said, you know, we got to go. Come on. Come on. And our short ride from Dundas to Young & Bloor was all about Dave. I wasn't jealous. I was excited, but there's only so many things you can hear, right? He's so cute, oh my God, he has three brothers, he lives in this, and I, I like him, I like him. So we decided that we'd get on the phone. Once we got home, we'd call each other and we'd talk and then she'd tell me more about him. We got home, we talked and everything else, and she said, okay, I'll call you in two days, which is familiar for us, every two days or every day or so. Now the second day after we had seen, last seen each other, I hadn't heard from her, so I called her up and then she tells me, Well, Dave has invited me to come to live with him. He has a house downtown. (laughs) What? Yeah, he invited me to come downtown to live with him. He's got a house. I'm like, Jackie, are you sure? Girl, I'm in love. Okay, are you sure? Girl, you got to come see me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm all right, well, tell me when, tell me where. I'll come help and I'll, you know, I'll hang out and we'll see what happens. She's very happy, so I'm happy for her, but there's something, because I'm still a virgin. (laughs) And so is she, as far as I knew. Yeah, she was still a virgin. So I I decided to just kind of let it just kind of wash over me and stuff. And I didn't hear from her for another three days. But I was kind of busy because it was time for graduation. And she was going to be busy moving with him. And I also was being busy uh, having a part-time job just before graduation. And we weren't going to see each other, but we would still talk. But I didn't hear from her. So I call her house, and her sister answers the phone. And uh, she tells me, well, Duchess, Jackie's not here. She left. She moved in with Mark. What? She said it was a big thing in the house. Mommy and Daddy is not happy. They are not happy, Duchess. You've got to help us. And I'm like, well, she usually calls me, you know, every two days. I haven't heard from her. So when she calls, you ask her to call me. But don't tell you told me what's going on. Another two-day passed by, and finally she does call me. She says that she's moved in with Mark, and they're downtown, and she wants me to come see her. So I'm all excited because I haven't seen her in, like, what, three weeks. And that's, that's long for us. So I said, okay, and we got, I got ready, and I went down, and I found the address, and it was kind of a weird-looking house for me, because uh, usually, you know, you have sounds coming out of the house, or c- food cooking, so you had scents, and just like there's nothing. So I was kind of like, okay, and I start to approach the house, and then on the second stair, it creaked, and I jumped for some reason, got to the door, and I knocked on the door, and all of a sudden I hear this manly voice, who is it? It's Duchess, I'm here to see Jackie. Well, get in here. Okay? So I open the door and I walk in, and there's a bunch of guys over there, and then I don't really wanna look around the house because I am a little bit nervous. I look up the stair, and there she is. And she sees me, and she's coming, running right down, and we're touching, it's like hugging each other, and I look in her eyes, and we're excited. So she grabs my hand and she says, let's go. And then Mark says, where are you going? She says, well, don't you remember I told you? Duchess has come to see me. We're going to go visit, uh, go shopping. Okay. so she grabs my hand. We go through the door. We walk really fast down the street. I'm excited. I don't really think anything about it. But as soon as we get to the corner, she abruptly stops and says, Duchess, this is not what it was supposed to be. This is not what I thought. What are you talking about? He's a pimp, and he wants me to be his prostitute. He's taken all my ID, my passport, and told me if I do anything, he's gonna get my sister and my parents. What? I'm shaking. And she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her. Okay, okay. I'll find a way. And there was not much after that. We walked. We held each other's hands. I hugged her. She told me that, yeah, she did give him her virginity. And she fell in love. But then he wasn't on the same page as she was. So our conversation really wasn't what it used to be. It, was, it got mature and scary. But I, I knew I had to help my best friend. So we finally got back to the house, said our goodbyes, and I told her I'd call you, I'd, I'll call you. She says, don't forget me. And I'm like, never, never. On my way home, I didn't know what to do. I had no thoughts, no ideas. All I know is I was numb, I was nervous, and I was confused. By the time I got home, I remembered this guy that was at our high school, my high school. It was Cosmo. And he was huge. He was like six foot five. And his arms were bigger than my legs. And he was just like buffed, you know. So I called him up, and I told him what was going on. And he says, yeah, I'm going to help you, girl. I'm going to help you, because we've been hearing about this house in the neighborhood. So come down on a certain day, and I will take care of all the plans. Great. Thank you, Cosmo. Great. Time comes that I have to go. I tell my mom what's going on. She pushes me to call the police. I said, no, I'm not. Just trust me. I left. I went down to the community where Cosmo lived, which is downtown, and uh, there's a taxi driver, and there's two other guys, and there's Cosmo. He says to me, just listen and don't talk. I'm like, okay. This is the cab driver. He's gonna take us there, and he's gonna take us home. These are my two friends. And this is me. We're gonna handle the situation. You don't have to do nothing but pack her stuff and get ready to run. All right. Okay. I have no air. I have no emotion. I'm shaking, that's all. At 16, there's nothing else. And if you're a virgin, there's not much more you can really experience. You can really experience that makes you compare So I was just always nervous and shaking, but I knew I had to do this. So I got inside the taxi, we got to the address, and he parked the car across the street, and then he tells me, go for it. It's like a dream to me. I got out of the car, and I got to that second stair. I I did this. Of course, the stair creaked. I jumped. I knocked on the door, and I braved myself with my hands behind my back. It's Duchess. I'm here to see my girl. All right, get in here. Okay. So Jackie's right there. She comes down. She says, we're going to go upstairs and hang out. Now, she told me that Mark made plans to go to a concert with his friends. So that really was a big relief. So I said, okay, we'll wait till he goes, but we're starting to start packing your stuff so Mark says he's leaving, bye and Jackie says bye and then we hear the door close, we are packing her stuff up much more frantically but then all of a sudden we hear the door open again, it's like shit he's back and then you hear his voice where are my tickets, where are my tickets they're upstairs, no and it it was so good when somebody else said, I don't know who it was no, 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 they're right here, I found them He goes back down the stair, they're out the door. But then, all of a sudden, I hear Cosmo's voice. Yo, we wanna talk to you. I grab Jackie, she says my passport. We're looking around for the passport. She grabs her, I grab her, she grabs her bag. We find the passport, yes. We push the window open, there's a fire escape. All of a sudden, I just heard him now, starting to argue with them. I didn't really hear the words. But I just grabbed her, we got on the fire escape, we got to the back of the house, and we started walking slowly at the side of the house. And we crouched down, we didn't want anyone to see us. But I heard something saying, yo, you don't leave this place in two days, we're calling the cops. Oh no, we gotta go Jackie, we gotta go. And then there was this, all this argument and the, all these guys were fighting and just, it was just chaos in our brain, it was chaos. I grabbed her and I said, we're going to run straight for that taxi cab. We're not going to stop. We ran to the taxi cab. The guy opened the door. We got in. The taxi man says, just crouch down. Do not show your face. So we did that. And then we we heard Cosmo and his other friends come out in the front of the house. And there was a bit much arguing and threatening. But then they finally got to the cab. Now, the streets were dark. And all the trees were hustling and bustling. And it just sounded so creepy. But when they finally got in the taxi cab and the door shut, it was like, oh. And then the cab took off driving. Then Cosmo says, you can get up. Sit on up, girls. And we're on our way home to Jackie's home. We finally got to her house. Took her to the front door. Her parents and her sister was there. And it was just such a reunion. I stood back a bit. And then she had to say goodbye to me. I told her, take tomorrow, talk to your parents. Call me in two days. i gonna hook up, I'll come see you. I didn't hear from her in two days. So I called her mom. And I said, hey, let me talk to Jackie. Her mom says to me, well, We put her on a plane yesterday to Trinidad, and she's gone. What do you mean she's gone? We were so scared for her, Duchess, that we wanted to get her out of here. I said without saying goodbye to me. Her mother just said she was sorry, and that was it. I never heard from my girlfriend My best friend, who I saved, I never heard from her again. 30 years later, my sister says she saw her sister on the streets of Toronto. She gave her a phone number and I decided to call. It was her voicemail. It was great to hear her voice. It sounded just the same. I didn't leave a message. I called back, we made plans to meet to me was this the same person, but it wasn't. It was 30 years later. She told me she got married and had three kids, and she was working at a law firm, and she wanted me to come over to dinner. So I thought, great. This is great. She never called, and I was hurt again. Thank you.
2: That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Miami Horror behind me now. And we just heard from Duchess in Toronto. We have a new check-in up on Patreon. It's me talking to our audio editor, John LaSala, about the -the behind-the-scenes work that he has done on some of your all-time favorite radio-style stories that have been told on the show. Really interesting to look back at some of those stories and the technical details of how they were put together. That's all at patreon.com slash risk. There's over 20 hours of bonus stories there, plus ad-free versions of the episodes, all these check-ins. There's just so much to find at patreon.com slash risk. Become a member and help keep this running. And if you want to see Risk live, information about where we're appearing next is always at risk-show.com slash tour. And be sure to engage with us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're at Risk Show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at the Kevin Allison. The Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group can be found on Facebook. And you can pitch us anytime from anywhere in the world. If you go to Risk-Show.com/submissions for the story that you might want to share, or you can encourage friends or family members to share their stories with us there. If you think you might need a little storytelling training, then go on over to thestorystudio.org. That's where we teach storytelling in one-on-one sessions over Skype, We have online interactive classes. We have our in person classes in New York, Minneapolis, and Los Angeles. We do corporate workshops for staffs of businesses like Google and Pfizer and Citibank and American Express. That is all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
3: She was sitting on top of me and just like, bam, 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 I am just fucking nailing this.
1: That sounds sketchy.